week's Property Matters, a show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today is myself, Brian Fox, and Carol Tallon. We have an exciting lineup today. First, we talk about the role of the community in shaping their local areas, and we learn about the SCS, Ireland Sustainability Initiative for Property and Construction. Dalí Rattan County Council is planning to issue guidelines which are aimed at increasing the number of large apartments in the county. The proposal has come up against massive opposition from the construction industry, saying that institutional investment would be damaged at a crucial time. On the line now is Councillor Maeve O'Connell Finnegale, representing the Stolorgan area on Dalí Rattan. County Council. So Maeve, do you go along with what some builders and estate agents are saying about the council's guidelines? No, I don't. I think you have to look at the specific needs and demands within Dunleer at Down. And if you consider my own area, Marion Leopardstown to Lorgan, there's a huge demand for people to trade down. So people are rattling around in large houses, families have moved out, and they keep looking at all these new developments and there isn't anything suitable. And the feedback I'm getting from them is there's not enough bedrooms and there's not enough storage. So this will address that demand, which is there, uh, and give people the opportunity to trade down and thus release more property into, into the market. The second thing that is also in, uh, in demand is we want to grow communities. And providing more developments with one bed and two bed and three bed means that you can start in a one bed, move to a two and move to a three as your life cycle changes. And that means you stay within the community in the longer term which creates more stability for you as an individual, but builds wider communities, and that's better for all of us. So, um, Maeve, um, they're, they're saying, they being the construction industry, that um, the uh, it's going to damage institutional investment. Did you go along with that argument? I don't think so, um, because I think they will recognise that the demand is there, and they may not have considered these wider demands. When we're just looking, most of the demand that they are addressing is new entrants into the marketplace. What I'm trying to highlight is that we have people out there who want to buy that aren't really fully engaged because to date there has been nothing there for them to buy. So I don't think they fully reflect that that demand is there. Mm. Yeah, but it seems to centre around um, Cherrywood, um, where where there are where forty percent of the new new units in big apartment blocks uh, in new communities such as uh, are, are um, un, undeveloped, according to uh, in, in the in the council area. How would you? What are your thoughts on that one? Well, if you get Cherrywood, is at a very early stage, um, so and that is very much an area where you are trying to build long term communities. So I think that is something that will resolve itself over over time as you get people moving in initially and then they trade up uh, as their life stages change. And again, that they can trade down as their life stages change because that's our big issue that we have, um, it, particularly in the Stolorgan Ward where there isn't somewhere for people to trade down to, something just a little bit smaller, uh, but that has the storage space. So would this have the backing then of councillors, these, these uh, new guidelines that the um, that councillor are... Are proposing to to uh, bring out. Well, certainly from my view in the Slorgan Ward, I certainly think we do need more of these, um, more storage space, and more of the three bed units. Mm. Uh, so, where do you think? I mean, will there be a clash then? Will there be a collision then between yourselves and the construction industry? I mean, when I say the construction industry builders and, and estate agents in relation to this. 
Well, I think we'll certainly have a robust uh, discussion on it. Uh, and the other factor that needs to be taken in, which again, uh, when they would have done their initial plans um, around future developments, they would take into account is the whole working from home phenomena, which is something that's here to stay. And people need more space to work from home. So I think there will be more of a demand for those slightly larger units, not from everybody. And this is the point. It's just increasing the number of units. There'll still be plenty of one and two bed. But we do need more of those larger units, as I said, for trading down, for people to move through the various life stages and to facilitate people to work from home. Yeah, and I see one developer um, wants exemptions from, from the from the 40%, um, uh, and, which is applied to schemes of more than 50, 50 apartments. So do you think, will they, will, they, um, will they get their way, do you think, in relation to it? I think all of these things will be looked at on a case-by-case basis. As I said, it depends where you are, as I said. In the Slorgan, the Marion Leopardstown Slorgan area, what we need is those three beds with more storage space. You know, they don't need to be all of them, but we do need more of them. But in other areas of the county, uh, and particularly once you get closer to the city, uh, mm. I can certainly see why the, sm- um, the smaller units might be more suitable. So I think it'll have to be in a case-by-case, location-by-location um, assessment. Can I ask you your uh, thoughts too on the... Um Projects that are that are going ahead in in the uh, Dunleary Rathdown County Council area, for instance, there's one in Buddhistown that has been uh, that got a lot of uh, local local objections, but have been since been uh, passed by Broadplala. There's one Clonkeen College and a number of others around. Um, what's your what, what are your thoughts on, on those um, planning permissions that were locally objected to, but on Broadplala said um, we're going to go ahead. I think this is one of been one of the huge issues with the SHD process. Um, which is now being changed, is that it was very difficult for local residents to feel that their voices were heard. And there's been an increasing number of judicial review applications because residents feel that their voices weren't being heard and weren't being listened to by and board Planola. Uh, and I think that has been one of the, the, the difficulties with the SHD process. That's the strategic hasn't developed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's coming to an end now and there'll be a new process uh, coming into place and it'll be interesting to see if that has helped address some of these concerns, valid concerns that local communities have, that their voices just aren't being heard. And uh, what do you think that will be? We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But I just want to, before we, before we wrap this up, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's that charge of nimbyism and not in my backyard sort of thing. And I mean, you know, if on board Planola was not there in the first place, you know, we, we know there's a housing, there's a chronic uh, shortage of, of um, reasonably priced um, housing in, in in the area. I mean, you know, what 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 can be done to um, to prevent the the local objections going ahead in in the situation that we're that we're in at the moment? I, I think we need to look at the broader picture of what's actually happening and stopping building taking place. Even developments that are gotten on board Planola permission and there hasn't been a judicial review application haven't turned the sod. Yeah. And frequently they've come back and they have increased the density of the development. So they've gotten the planning permission and then they've come back again. So there's bigger issues. The, the, the delays in construction, I think, have very little to do with local objections. And I think the SHD process has demonstrated that, mm. is that we sped up the planning, people were getting the planning permissions, and then nothing was happening. So what it's actually highlighted is that planning hasn't been the delay at all. And by disenfranchising and taking away the voice of local people who've actually just upset our own taxpayers and our own citizens and our own communities without actually addressing the housing crisis anyway. So there's wider issues, which I wouldn't claim to be an expert. Yeah, but I mean... The developments 
the developments aren't, the buildings that get permission aren't being built at the rate that it was expected would happen with the fast track planning process. So I think that's something that needs to be investigated um, by experts and addressed. Yeah, but I dare say the, the, the fast track planning too would have problems with local residents as well, would they not? Well, that's what I'm pointing out, the fast track uh, planning process. Even when people were granted planning, mm. they still didn't turn the sod. Mm. And there was delays and delays, delays and delays. Um, mm. And like one estimate is um, about 40% of things that were granted planning permission hadn't started construction within 18 months. Mm. Mm. So I think that that's quite stark. Uh, so that shows that there's issues. And we know what some of the issues are. We know that um, it's trying to get construction workers. There is challenges around um, getting funding models and things like that. Um, but I think it's very important that we don't point the fingers at local residents who care about their communities uh, as causing these delays. They're actually not the ones causing the delays. Would you think there's the similar problems in other local authorities around the country as, as Dunleary are experiencing at the moment? I think Dunleary is, is possibly experiencing more of them. There's a lot more applications that have come into Dunleary for these large-scale developments okay. um, than in most other areas. So thus, we would have a concentration then of the ensuing um, issues associated with that. Mm, okay, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so just... What what you don't take now that we're starting a new year in the uh, what you don't take in relation to residential construction uh, in the county over the next uh, year or two? Well, I was reading the survey in the um, published in the Irish Times at the weekend, which said that something like eighty one percent of Irish people thought property prices were going to come down in the next year. So um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe as well certainly there's a huge amount of things being built uh, there's construction taking place everywhere um, so uh, there will certainly be a lot more coming on stream in the next 12 months um, so hopefully that will address a lot, of, a lot of the issues and of course we have the county development plan uh, going through at the moment which will hopefully address some of those other issues by um, allowing uh, increased supply in certain areas Councillor Maeve O'Connell Fine Gael representing the Dorgan area and Dalira Town County Girls. Thanks so much indeed. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon and Brian Fox. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Up next, we're joined by John Shannon, Associate Director of Offices at Cushman and Wakefield. And John is also a member of the Sustainability Working Group within the SCSI. John, you're very welcome. Happy New Year to you. And Happy New Year to you too. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, before, Just before we start recording, I mentioned to you that this month marks our fourth year um, re- uh, recording um, Property Matters and iProperty Radio, which is great. But it was also pointed out to me that it also marks the third year of COVID, <laughs> um, well. which which feels like less of a milestone to be celebrating. Um, so before we get into the sustainability initiatives of the SESI, which is really what we want to concentrate on today, um, I can't... I can't, I can't uh, let your presence here go without asking you, you are the tenant rep um, within offices at Cushman and Wakefield. How are your, your clients finding things at the moment? Again, we're heading into our third year of COVID. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting times. It's, it's a, as always, it's a funny old market. It's an interesting market. Last year was very much, uh, you know, a year of two halves. We had about five months of lockdown. Uh, we would have noticed from talking to our clients, um, you know, business started picking up in a significant way, probably from about August. And we had very strong figures in terms of deals signed uh, in the last quarter of the year. So uh, the stats um, are effectively being finalized we're seeing all the reports coming out it's looking like it's about 1.5 million square feet for the year which is broadly in line with the 10-year average so given where we were this time last year it's about as positive as it could have been okay well look that's that's a, a good note to start on i know we will be speaking to some of your colleagues later on in the month um so i mentioned there that you're on the sustainability panel of the SESI, the chartered surveyors um in ireland and I mean, in terms of sustainability, we know that, you know, the main transformative drivers of real estate, not just in Ireland, but globally um, right now are uh, decarbonisation and digitalisation. Um, so both of those feed into the drive towards sustainability. So you might just talk us through some of the, the headline initiatives that the SESI has ongoing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the sustainability working group was uh, was set up. Um, one of the main driving forces, our, our chairperson Eloise, um, and a few others came together and said that you know we felt that as a profession uh, we needed to be doing more. Uh, real estate contributes to about thirty uh, percent of uh, global greenhouse gas emissions through its construction and uses about forty percent of global energy in terms of how it's being run. So it's a significant contributor and something that anyone involved in the sector, you know, needs to be more aware of. Um, I suppose within the group, our, our, our main goals and what we want to achieve as a, as a panel uh, would be to promote awareness, uh, to increase education of sustainability in the built environment. Uh, but also we would have a goal of working towards a carbon neutral uh, built environment by 2050. Um, and it's through organizing CPDs, undertaking initiatives such as the surveyors declare, declaring a climate emergency, um, and, uh, you know, educating our, our members and, you know, contributing towards government policy and as much as we can uh, that, that we hope to achieve those goals. Um, and they're all laudable goals. In terms of our working towards uh, carbon neutrality, how much of this is likely to be offset? I mean, um, and, and by that, I mean, you know, Obviously, there are huge initiatives to reduce carbon across buildings and, and in terms of not just uh, the operation and performance of buildings, but also in terms of construction materials. Um, and, and we'll get into that uh, throughout the conversation. But the expectation is the expectation that the industry is going to have to do a lot to offset carbon. Oh, I, absolutely. And I mean, the technologies are changing all the time. So we're getting better at building buildings. But I think it's not just, uh, you know, this um, wish, this aspirational goal. Um, the Climate Action Bill has been signed into law. So this is happening whether we like it or not. And I mean, you look at our standing stock and the buildings that are available. Um, I think the figures for our housing stock is that the government wants to uh, retrofit approximately 500,000 homes by 2030. I think we did about 4,000 last year. So there's a huge amount of work to be done on it. And similarly with um, commercial properties, I think their target is about 50,000 buildings uh, by, by 2030. So, you know, it's not aspirational. It has to happen and it is happening. You know, I, I love that. Um, you know, I, I, you almost say that with an air of defiance. This isn't a wish. This is law. And <laughs> yeah. I, I mentioned at the start that you actually work as 
the tenant rep. So this is where we ask um, the law, has that translated into acceptance by your clients? I mean, is the industry ready for this? Um, I think the industry is ready. I mean, along with other sectors in the economy, there's obviously uh, certain labour shortages at the moment. Um, I think, you know, the, the area that I work in is is in offices. I'm, I work up in Dublin. I tend to deal with a lot of multinational companies and large occupiers. Um, what I have found is that the the, the buildings that they're going for, they, they are sustainable buildings. Like any of the new offices that are being built in Dublin, they're certified, they're modern, they're well built and they're well run. And they could stand, uh, you know, toe to toe with buildings being built anywhere uh, in the world. So, you know, that uh, sector of the property market has definitely embraced it. Uh, ESG over the last number of years has become increasingly more important. This is what occupiers wanted. Landlords have responded. uh, And now you've got um, investors in a big way looking at their portfolios and what buildings are sustainable and what buildings aren't sustainable. Um, So I think, you know, the office sector is one which, you know, has already embraced it and is already seeing the fruits of all of the work that's gone into it. Uh, The other sector is probably a little bit slower to catch up um, and not without their challenges, but no doubt they will get there. Uh, You know, retail, for example, um, industrial, you know, but there are developers in Dublin who are building certified uh, buildings like uh, I put uh, towards the airport where they're getting lead certification on industrial buildings, which, you know, you, you wouldn't have imagined would be something that that sector would care about. But there is a market there for it. You know, you bring up something really interesting there. I mean, you mentioned there that one of the goals of the SESI is around uh, awareness and education. But something interesting here is that a lot of the the even before, even before the, the latest legislation, we had the industry demanding higher higher standards, particularly um, FDI clients, particularly large tech multinationals. So, is it a case that you know the industry or the, that essentially the market was driving this? I think so. The industry was offering it. I think so. I mean, you know, I think any organization will look at its real estate as a reflection of itself, of its brand, of its culture. Uh, They want to occupy the best buildings in the best locations uh, in order to attract talent and to attract people who align with those brands and align with that culture. Um, I suppose up until about five years ago, the main driver of commercial real estate was cost. And then that flipped and it became talent and it was all about talent attraction uh, and talent retention uh, and the real estate aspect of a company would play a significant role in that um, and at that point you know you were lo- you had occupiers who were looking at buildings who wanted the best buildings who wanted the best performing buildings um, and that's when developers started to you know under Understand that's where the market was going. We need to start providing that product so that you know we can let our buildings quicker and move on to the next one. Uh, I've never heard it articulated like that, but that's so powerful that any sector would actually look to its real estate, uh, and that's how it is being represented. Um, well, it's one, of, it's one of the many ways they would do it. It's part of the bigger yeah. picture, but it's it's an important one because it's a physical, um, you know, thing that people can walk up and see. It's not a, you know, we are brave or we're going to do the best that we can. It's a physical representation of what they are as a business. That's very powerful. Uh, honestly, John, I've never heard it articulated like that, but it makes so much sense. And, and we can see that change happening. So then in terms of the education, um, the education goal of the SESI, is that more about education, educating the industry? Bringing them um, up? 
Yeah, I mean, it's about educating our members, uh, but anyone who's interested in it, the information is there. It's freely available. And it's about us as a, as a group of surveyors, like the people working on the panel will be split across all sectors. So, you know, we have valuers, we have agents, we've got property managers, we've got building surveyors. Uh, I think we even have, a, or we do even have a barrister uh, who's also a chartered surveyor. Um, and it's about leveraging, you know, their, their experience and their contacts to try and get as much of the information because, you know, sustainability is an incredibly broad subject. You know what I mean? It's, you know, with a lot of practitioners and a lot of members, it's where do you even start with it? Um, so it's trying to identify where there are information gaps and knowledge gaps and then get people who can step in and help out with those. And through organizing CPDs, through preparing papers, uh, through writing um, articles for the Surveyor's Journal and the Irish Times and the National Press, uh, promoting the idea and getting people talking, we're hoping that that will start to drive it forward. But I mean, even uh, the figures that I mentioned at the top, it's a huge scope for, for new business uh, in terms of, you know, retrofitting buildings just alone. There's, there's such a huge job to do. So, you know, we definitely would be encouraging members to, to look into that and how they could, uh, you know, use it to drive their business. Retrofitting is an interesting one. There's an interesting uh, narrative playing out in the media at the moment where on one side you have um, the cost of retrofit being seen almost as an argument against it. On the other side of it, we know in terms of sustainability that the most sustainable building is one that's already been built, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So there's there's a little bit of a contradiction there. And, you know, you've mentioned there that the range of members of SESI, you know, you're ranging from all of the different professions you mentioned right down, you know, to, to small agents dotted right around uh, regional areas and in market towns all over Ireland, um, but also kind of the, the agencies in Dublin that are dealing with these uh, market-leading FDI, uh, um, FDI companies and and tech. How do you how do the same rules apply to all? Um, no, I don't think the same rules apply to all. It's a, it's a fair uh, comment. I think that you know, again, because we're it's so new to us. And it's something that our members are only getting involved in. Uh, we have to try and disseminate the knowledge in a way that everyone can get something from it. But you know, you're not going to be having the same conversation as a valuer who's valuing a hundred thousand square foot office building uh, in Dublin versus someone who is valuing, you know, a small shop in the Midlands. You know, and that's not what it's about. But some of the questions that they're asking about. Uh, you know, asking their clients about the buildings are the same and it is transferable and it's trying to bridge that gap and make sure that, you know, whether they're, um, you know, working in the Midlands or working in Dublin, that they are asking their clients for the information and that they are valuing, uh, in that example, with sustainability in mind. Okay, well, let's talk about the valuations because, you know, one of the things we covered on the show here towards the end of 2021 was, you know, the, the likely impact of COVID and how that would reflect um, in post-COVID valuations. But in terms of sustainability, there's a much broader, there's a much broader range of things that would feed into the valuation. Um, so can you talk us through some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually recently prepared a, um, 
I wouldn't be a guidance note, but it would be a, a kind of a white paper on, you know, a, a list of items that should be considered uh, by valuers when they're looking at real estate. Um, and, and funnily enough, uh, you know, just uh, the just at the start of January, the RICS have recently updated their guidance note on including sustainability in valuations. <clears throat> and I do know that we're working on a number of CPDs uh, on that uh, together with a couple of half-day uh, sittings as well. And that actually even isn't is more than a guidance note. It actually changes the, the red book in terms of how valuations are to be approached in terms of sustainability. So there's quite a bit of work is going into that. But in terms of what we've done here locally, um, you know, you would be considering things like the age and the, the specification of the building. Does it have a, a rating? I mean, all buildings will have a, a BO rating or are capable of getting them, but perhaps it's got a, a lead rating or NZEB or, or something like that. Um, you know, what uh, on-site renewable energy is there? Is there uh, uh, solar panels? Um, is there LED lighting? Is there, uh, um, you know... Uh, a very efficient air handling units, that sort of thing. Uh, or you might be considering, is there any biodiversity features um, or, or any other uh, sustainable features such as, you know, wastewater handling or rainwater collection? Um, but as part of this, the valuer would also have to consider the tenant, uh, how they occupy the property. Are they running it uh, as sustainably as they can? Are there any green clauses in the leases, um, you know, when they're on their inspection, you know, they're, they're looking for things like the quality of natural light, air quality, uh, individual temperature controls and noise reductions, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, is there is there showers? Is there bike spaces? Are people encouraged to cycle to work rather than driving in a private car? Um, and then, you know, I suppose one of the most important aspects of it is, you know, what sort of data is being captured? Is the is the landlord uh, or is the is the tenant uh, recording how much energy is being used uh, on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis? And are they proactively looking to you know reduce that and actually get more out of the building? Um, you know, if you can measure it, you can improve it. And I think you know that capturing that data is probably one of the most important uh, things that you can do to start improving your your building and your and whether it's being run in a sustainable way. Um, and then I suppose another thing valuers would also have to consider would be do the sustainability credentials of an asset or the lack thereof have any impact on you know who would be there to buy the property so if an investment fund is looking at a at a, at a building uh, you know would the lack of sustainable credentials mean that they were precluded from actually bidding on it so i think that's you know some of the things that we would have looked at um, when we were trying to advise them uh, advise valuers certainly not an exhaustive list but a good place to start uh, in terms of when you're looking to build in value, uh, sustainability into evaluation. And I mean, it's it's worth noting that, you know, this isn't a new thing. You know, valuers have been doing this for, you know, the last 10 years or so, uh, but we're just looking to try and give it, uh, you know, more of a framework and a bit more regularity about it. Um, there's so much and what you've covered there. So we, we might just kind of strip back to a couple of points that, that are particularly relevant at the moment. So, for example, you talk about certifications, but um, to my mind, as, as almost a lay person, it seems like there's been this huge growth in the number of different types of certifications. You know, yeah. um, so obviously you mentioned BR and that's different. You know, we've, we've it has a statutory, it has statutory standing. But in terms of other 
um, say, wellness standards or other building standards? I mean, you mentioned at the top of the interview, and I, I think it's a quite a powerful statement, you know, we're getting better at building buildings. Um, and that's a really good point. And these certifications are how we measure that we're getting better at, at building. But is there a hierarchy here? You know, there's so many certifications. Are some more important than others? Um, I don't think so. I mean, in Dublin, uh, particularly, say, in the office market, a lot of the office buildings are LEED certified. So that's Leaderships in Energy Efficiency and Design. Um, That is an American standard, but it's one that can be applied uh, to lots of different building types, not just offices, but it's been very popular in office in Dublin, probably due to our exposure to the American market. So we're dealing with a lot of American occupiers. They want to see their certification on the building for like with like comparison. In the UK, you've got Bream, uh, which again, you know, it's the you know it's effectively the same thing. You know, they've different names for the different levels, whether it's very good or platinum. Uh, but it's still certifying that the building is built in a sustainable way and can be operated in a sustainable way. Uh, you've also got other uh, certifications that investors are probably more concerned with, such as Gresby, uh, which would look at how the portfolio is being run. Um, and then you've got one that you mentioned, which is a well certification, which is much more concerned with um, occupiers' health and well-being, because I suppose sustainability isn't just about the building it's also about the occupants health and well-being making sure that they have a a safe healthy uh, environment in you know that's uh, conducive to to doing good work and being comfortable uh, you know and, and that's probably an important part of it that gets overlooked a little bit as well yeah you touched on something very important there in terms of um I don't want to use the term brand recognition with certifications, but there is an element of that. But you mentioned earlier on the interview that, um, you know, portfolio managers and indeed their funders have been very aware of ESG. It's been a huge driver. um, um, ESG investing has been a huge driver over the last number of years, you know, predating COVID, obviously. And there's something that maybe has changed in the last two years that you touched on without some of these certifications, funding might not actually be possible. You know, how is that something that we are already seeing in the market or, or is it something that is likely to come down the track? Um, I think it's likely to come down the track, but I, it all comes back to pricing as well because, you know, uh, like developers, uh, you know, they're not, uh, or sorry, investors, they're not afraid of taking on these buildings and, and bringing them up to a modern standard. We've seen that time and time again in Dublin, um, but I think if they, it's, it's only if they can get them for the right uh, price that it makes sense to go and do those upgrades and that they're, that they're going to see it at the other side of it. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, it will, you know, by, by not being sustainable, you are going to inherently limit your market uh, and it's going to impact on pricing um, because you know having a building just sitting there without proactively being managed uh, without being brought up to the uh, a modern standard you know just won't do uh, in this market um there's a proposal there's a proposed bill um at the moment the workplace ventilation bill is that likely to impact on valuations or is this something that has really already been accounted for under other certifications it would probably depend on a case by case basis in terms of how that's being applied and whether it applies to the specific building. So I think you know it'll factor into the each individual valuer's assessment of any property they're looking at. 
Okay. And you touched on it earlier. I'd love to get into maybe further detail about the data. You know, obviously we work a lot with um, prop tech startups and providers in Ireland. And a lot of the work that they do is around um, gathering the data that's needed in order to to use these insights or for portfolio uh, managers to be able to use these insights. But in terms of the data, I mean, do we have a clear set of guidelines on, say, for example, you know, we're talking about uh, the fabric of a building, but how a tenant occupies a building has a huge impact on energy performance. So actually, if that's going to impact on the value of a company, then does this add um, does this add a responsibility onto the tenant to occupy the building in a more efficient way? Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, by use of the word uh, efficiency, we're also building in cost reduction into that. That That's part of it. So if you're going to uh, put in efficient LED lights, you know, there'll be a, a more expensive upfront cost, but they'll be cheaper to run. And that's a benefit to the occupier. Um, I think there's probably a couple of things in, in what you're asking there. And all of this um, is governed by the relationship between the landlord and the tenant as set out in the lease. So it's everything that's negotiated at the start in terms of you know, what are the parameters for how you're allowed to occupy the building? Um, so you would have various clauses that we would probably we would refer to as green clauses. So for example, data sharing would be a big one where a landlord or an asset manager wants to know which floors uh, are, are running as at optimal levels and which aren't so that if they're not performing, they can be improved. And if they're all working in unison, then overall he's got a better product and you can work to improve the energy efficiency of the building. You'd also have things like waste management plan for the building. Um, um, and then in terms of like a tenant's fit out, again, you come back to the rating. A, a lot of times what you'll see in leases is that the tenant is not allowed to do anything that would impact on the landlord's rating. So this could be uh, if they were doing their fit out, it would have to be their cap B fit out. It would have to be in line with uh, lead goal standards. They might not have to go and get it certified, but it would have to be done up to that level so that the landlord can retain his um certification. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, you know, as the occupiers are going through the life of their lease, you know, it's, it's, it's for, for both parties, it's of benefit uh, to be occupying it in the most efficient way possible to be getting the best out of it. Okay. And that's, that's a fair assessment. Um, in terms of real estate data, uh, one of the things we've seen over the past four and five years um, is that there's a huge gap between those that are embracing, measuring and using it for actionable insights and those who aren't. Um, so we know the gap is wide, but in terms of large occupiers, where are they in terms of their use of data analytics for across real estate? Oh, no, I mean, they're, they're absolutely duty embedded with it um you know they a lot of the very big occupiers like facebook like salesforce they have a uh, already declared uh, i think uh, salesforce is a net zero carbon company um sales um, facebook have uh, given undertakings to reduce their water consumption to next to nothing. I mean, it's, you know, they've, they've made these incredible pledges and they, they do occupy buildings in very sustainable ways. I think what we're seeing is, uh, you know, better use of the technology. So you're seeing a lot more people uh, employing smart meters so you can get up-to-date readings on how much water you use that day, almost to a half an hour, how much electricity you use that day. Um, and then companies, uh, there's a company I came across recently called uh, Ziggy Tech. 
tech and they have this whole platform which is developed and will actually spit out your scope one, scope two and scope three emissions so that if you're a large organization uh, that has signed up for the um, for that particular certification, you know, you'll be able to, to measure it, quantify it, seek to improve it and then move on from there. So loads of really exciting things going on in terms of uh, what, what technology can do to improve that. Excellent. That's from from the perspective of Project Ireland and for all of the innovators who are there trying to create positive change. You know, that's a that's a really good starting point for yeah. 2022. So I'm really happy to hear that. So, I mean, look, we've gone through in terms of the guidance document, you know, the factors that are likely to impact on, on valuations. But you mentioned there that the, the RICS um, document just came through. Now, is it fair to say that that's likely where the Irish sector will be looking next Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. So we're governed by RICS and SCSI. Yeah. You know, they, they work in tandem, hand in hand. Um, so that document uh, is live from the 31st of January. Uh, it's available to download at the moment. As I said, the working group is going through it at the moment. We're looking to build out a selection of uh, CPDs. There'll probably be a couple of half-day seminars because this document goes beyond a normal guidance note. It's not just best practice. This is also changing what's in the red book. So it would be of particular importance to uh, to pay attention to what's going on in it and to be reflecting that in valuation reports for them to be uh, compliant with the Red Book. So is there anything that we need to be aware of now, you know, maybe from where the guidance document that, that was issued several months ago to what's likely to be coming down the track in the next 12 to 24 months? There's quite a lot in it, and uh, I think we're probably better off holding off until we have our CPDs ready to go. Very good. And by the way, in terms of the the SESI CPDs coming up, you know, you mentioned a few of them there. Specifically, what's what's kind of on the agenda for the next two quarters? Um, I. I have to double check what's in my diary. I don't know it off the top of my head. We have a huge, huge um, plan for this year. There's there's an awful lot going on. I mean, just closing out last year, we ran uh, CPDs uh, on the recent changes in legislation. We ran them from building surveyors' perspective, how how they should be looking at sustainability. We looked at electric car charging. Uh, you know, the, the, it, with sustainability and real estate, you can literally go anywhere. So we've uh, we've a full program of events planned. Uh, they're all available on the SESI website for, for in the members section. Great. Thank you. And you mentioned surveyors declare. Yeah. You might just explain how that works. Yeah, so this was one of our uh, earlier initiatives. Uh, and it's actually, there's been various sectors of real estate globally that have come up with this uh, surveyors declare uh, document. There's also an architect's one, there's an engineer's one. And essentially what it is, is it's it's a framework uh, that our members and our member firms sign up to so that they will be running their businesses in a more sustainable way. So we'll be looking at uh, reducing the use of fossil fuels within your practice or even you know in your how you live in your private time uh, you would also be looking at reducing water uh, increasing biodiversity and generally looking at your um, your surveying activities on how they can be done in a more efficient way. So we drafted up the document, we sent it out, we had huge engagement from our members, there was really positive take up from it. Our next step is we're going to be calling everyone who's signed up for it and asking them, so you've signed up for this, what have you done? How have you 
impacted. And I like, for example, in where I work in Cushman and Wakefield, uh, you know, we've, we've made sure we switched all of our uh, power suppliers to 100% renewable energy. Uh, we've brought in live plants, desk plants into the office. Uh, people have got aloe vera plants and, and other things like that. Uh, we've also increased, um, we're, we're looking at uh, replacing any of the old light fittings with new modern LED ones. That work is underway at the moment. Uh, we're looking at potentially getting beehives. Um, you know, anything that we can do to try and improve the efficiency of our building. Uh, so that's the answer we'll be given. But we'll, we'll be continuing the work with that because it, it does get a positive reaction. You, apart from getting a positive reaction, you're making it very personal then for the professionals involved um, to to essentially turn up and do their best. And that that therefore will translate into the industry, you know, which is what we want to see. It's not just a case of um, making these available to our clients. There's a personal role to be played here as well. Um, you touched on it at the start of the interview there that, you know, previously cost might have been an impediment. I'm interested to know where are the points of resistance to the sustainability initiatives? That's a very broad question. I appreciate. But, you know, where are the points of resistance coming up now? Um, we're not seeing a huge amount of resistance to it. Uh, there's been several changes, both in terms of how the market operates, uh, who's in the market. As I mentioned, you know, very much occupier-led, but developers and landlords have responded to that need. And like I said, we're now building better buildings. It's a very broad question because really, um, I suppose I'm thinking from when we started to introduce um, ESG initiatives, going back, you know, oh, when sorry, so, called yeah. CSR initiatives, you know, what we found was that the point of resistance was nearly always cost and what we found as well that even where the um where the climate benefits were clear there was never that sense of urgency and that's something that really feels like it's changed are you seeing that um are you seeing that at the moment like is there a sense of urgency around the need to address climate impact uh, as well as financial concerns yeah, no, no, sorry, I lost, I, I, <laughs> I remember what I was going to say there. Um, I suppose the big change has been since uh, March 2021 have been changes in the EU directives and EU taxonomy in terms of how businesses are recording ESG in their accounts. Um, and that has been a major driver of it. People have to actually be accountable. It's not just greenwashing. Um, and I found that, you know, occupiers are very much wearing this like a badge of honour. And again, it comes back to this is a representation of their culture this is the type of firm that they are and if you agree with these values if you align with them then you like to come and work with us we, we you know we're, we're very similar people to you and you know it, it's very much being used as a as a talent attractor uh, as something to retain people something that people can buy into as part of the culture of a business so I, I, I would have said that you know whereas previously yes absolutely it was cost versus profit now I would say that ESG is on the same footing as profit it's just as important that they meet these goals, uh, you know, for the for the wider benefits that are there to any business or organization. Okay, and but then what are the barriers that we're likely to face? Because we know that policymaking um, is supporting this, but is that happening fast enough? Yeah, no, no, I do believe it is. Um, I think there is great momentum at the moment. Um, certainly in the last 12 months, I don't think you can turn on uh, a television, you can't open a newspaper, you can't click open your LinkedIn feed without there being something about climate change or sustainability. And people are really buying into it and, uh, yes, yeah, certainly adapting to the, the new world order. What what are, the, what are the trends we can expect to see? I mean, by the way, I appreciate that we're still 
dealing with the ongoing impact of COVID. So it, it, in a way, it's almost a welcome relief to concentrate and focus on something else. But in terms of, you know, the next two to three years, what are the trends that you're starting to see and what do you expect to see? Um, I think there will be, uh, you know, probably increase increased responsibility on, on firms to maintain their reporting. Uh, what we'll see is improving building performance. So there's no point in just getting a certification at the start of its life. It will have to be improved. So we'll definitely see uh, technology improving um, in terms of how those buildings are managed, how they're monitored, um, and then how they're occupied. So I think it'll just be a, an ever-increasing curve of better and better buildings um, and a lot of focus on retrofitting. And as you said, yourself you know the most sustainable building is one that's already built the carbon is already embodied so how do you make that the best version of itself that it can be without knocking it down and sending it to landfill so certainly over the next uh, five years i think retrofitting will be a big area particularly in the residential side and um, it's really interesting to be having this conversation now when there's an ongoing debate about what the future of work is likely to look like um, and hybrid. Because you're at the coalface there, you know, what are your clients and the people you're dealing with uh, and indeed their their teams and their communities? Are you getting a sense of um, the hybrid situation working or what are you feeling about the, the future of work? I think yeah, there's an undoubted demand for an office. You know, people want a base. They want to be able to get out of their houses. Uh, I've been talking to to some people I know who have been in their bedrooms for, you know, as you said, the third anniversary of it. They're absolutely sick of it. They, you know, they miss their morning commute. It's gotten that bad. Um, I, I think there's a place for hybrid working. I think it's role specific. It's organization. It's not going to work for everyone. It's going to work really well for other people, like most things in life. So I, I think, you know, um, we're probably still in the middle of what's going on. It's very difficult to to call it one way or the other uh, but as evidence in terms of the take up for last year um, you know in line with the 10 year average very strong second half of the year deals are still happening we haven't seen a massive influx of secondhand space um, and I think it's probably uh, you know going to be a case of occupiers just using their space differently rather than taking any less space um, you know are you going to have staff coming in five days a week Probably not, uh, but some weeks they might be and, you know, some weeks they won't be in at all. And it's just about finding that balance and addressing how they're using their real estate to, to meet that uh, flexible requirement. Um, these are certainly interesting times and I appreciate your insights there. Um, that was John Shannon, uh, Associate Director of Offices at Cushman and Wakefield and a member of the Sustainability Working Group within the SESI. And for details of any of the CPD courses mentioned by John there, I'd recommend anybody just go to the SESI website uh, for further information. That's it from us this week on Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show by on social media or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio. Uh, my thanks to Luke Delaney and Peter Rice on sound. We'll be back at the same time next week. From myself and Brian Fox and all the team here, stay safe.